What I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of right motivation. You know, different things motivate different people in different ways, but it is very, very important to have the right motivation. For example, in the workplace, there are many people at the workplace that their motivation is simply to get a paycheck. I mean, we have to have money to live our life. I understand that. But there, there are those that really, the, the, uh, it's just a job. And if they can find a job somewhere else and it pays a little more, they go somewhere else. And we don't criticize that at all. But I mean, if, if, if the only motivation a person has on a job is they just get a paycheck, they will not be very long term. There are those in the workplace, their motivation is they like their job they see their job is making a difference and they, they do their very best day after day. In fact, they do even beyond what is required. I think a good example of that would be Chris. John mentioned Chris. You know, when, uh, let, let me just say this, and, and I have to be careful how I say this. Okay, many contemporary worship people are crazy. <laughs> that would be my pastoral way of saying that. I mean, they have blinders. They All they care about is their little music, and they think everything evolves around them. Chris Squire is a contemporary worship leader in a league all his own. But let me tell you about him. Yeah, let's just give God glory for that. That's God. But He's not all about just music. He, he, he has a job here at First Baptist Church, but he has a heart for God. He, 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 he doesn't just work for a paycheck. When we became needing someone to figure out what to do when we lost our senior high student minister, in a staff meeting, Chris just spoke up and said, you know, I'll do that until we get someone, but y'all hurry up and get someone. And, uh, and so he's been doing that. And here a couple of weeks ago, in fact, two weeks ago, uh, he goes down to Piney Woods to the winter retreat with our high school kids, 100 plus, and they just spend, now that's all in addition to what he does here as a contemporary music leader. Then Sly, our minister of young adults, uh, had a group going, John mentioned, to Passion. Well, he comes down with COVID. Now, Chris has just come back from a retreat with the high school students. And I wouldn't even have the courage to do it. John said, I'm not going to ask you to do it, Chris, but he said, we really do need somebody to uh, take this group down to Atlanta to Passion. Now, like they were going to ride a bus from here to Atlanta, Georgia, nonstop. Well, Chris volunteered for that and said, no, I'll be glad to do it. And he did, and they did a great job. Now, where's Chris? Is Chris still? Okay. Now, Chris, you know, Sly has COVID and he scheduled to go to Vancouver tomorrow, but <laughs> you can't go to Vancouver tomorrow. No, he just gave me the sign. But I'm just simply saying, we're blessed at our church. And, and maybe I'm saying things out of order, but I'm giving God glory. We have a good number of workers at church 
that, that really love the Lord, they care about God, they care about their job, and they just do what has to be done. And Chris is one of those. He's not the only one. We have others. And uh, wherever you work, there are those people. Then there are those others that just kind of do what they do. Well, motivation is the key. Motivation is the key, not only in the workplace, but like in school. What, what motivates students in school? Here the students are. Like some of you, your motivation in school is to make good grades. And you, you do want to make good grades. I encourage you to make good grades. But if that's your total motivation, school's not going to be a real great experience for you. Others uh, in, in school, they're, 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 what motivates them would be their teachers. You'll have teachers that motivate you, inspire you, encourage you to, to do your very best. And then there are those students, I think all of our students would be like this, your motivation in school is to learn. You want to make good grades, yes, but, but really what motivates you is not just passing tests. What motivates you is to learn the material that you're being taught so the following year you can build on that and build on that and one day you get out so you can graduate from school with good grades and not be real smart. You just learn how to take tests. What you want to do is learn the material and then you get out in life and you, you do much better. So, you know, something motivates you. Like in athletics, what motivates athletes? Well, uh, a lot of things motivate athletes. One is you know, their coaches may be their motivation. They, they, uh, or maybe it's winning. Well, just, you know, that, that's the big deal. We just always have to win and, and to win motivates them. Others, especially in a professional level and, and sometimes lower, but professional level indeed is ego. There, there are many professional athletes that their egos, their motivator. I mean, they, they're, they're all sold on themselves, and they may be good. They may be extra good, but they'll let you know they're extra good. But you always need to remember, there's always somebody out there bigger, smarter, and faster, and one day you'll run into them. But that might be the situation. And then other athletes, they're just motivated. They love their sport. Whatever their sport may be, they love it. They would do it for nothing. And they work at it and work at it because why? That is their motivation. Now, hear me carefully. Nowhere is motivation more important than living a godly Christian life. What motivates you is the key. And nowhere in the Bible do we see the right motivation for living a godly life than we see in the book of Romans in chapter 12. So if you'll open your Bible to Romans chapter number 12, I want us to see in two verses what the apostle Paul has to say about motivation, the right motivation, something to motivate you. Like if, if what motivates you is like the preacher like he, he gets you all stirred up to do something. Well, you know, problem with that is there'll be many times he won't stir you up. Other times he's trying to stir you up and you won't stir up. That's the wrong motivation. The apostle Paul hits it dead on. And we're going to see it in Romans chapter number 12. Now remember this about the book of Romans. Just put it in your mind. The apostle Paul wrote this letter while he was in Corinth and it was delivered to the believers, to the Christians in Rome. And in chapters 1 through 11, you ought to just memorize this. 
Two parts to the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 is the greatest theological teaching on doctrine the church has ever had. So it's all about doctrine, all about teaching. It's all about theology, the depth of things. Now, when you come to chapter 12, the remainder of the book, it, it's, it's all about practical Christian living. He applies all the doctrine that he's taught in these first 11 chapters. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I beseech you. That word beseech means I urge you. I encourage you. Paul's not trying to be God over this group. He's not trying to say, okay, I'm going to put the hammer down. He said, look, I want to plead with you. I want to encourage you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so that is going to be what we look together this morning. Now, what Paul is saying is very simply this. The right motivation for living the Christian life, for living a godly life, is the mercies of God. If you have a King James or New King James or many other translations, you'll see that little phrase in the very first verse. Now, the New Living Bible is what I read in my daily Bible reading. I love the contemporary way it explains that to us. Let me read it quickly. Paul said, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because of all that he has done for you. That little phrase, mercies of God, refers to all the things that God has done for them. So what's going to be your motivation? Your motivation to live a godly life is to remember all the things God has done for you. And you say, well now, like what things? Well, when we talk about remembering all the things God's done for us, we think about material things or we think about physical things, etc. But now think with me a moment about the, the major things God has done for you. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I, I encourage you to present your body as a living sacrifice, and here's why. Here's the motivation. Because of the mercies of God. Because all of the things God has done for you. First thing God has done for you is what? God has made it possible for you to spend eternity in heaven. Now you think about that a moment. One day... If Jesus tarries, all of us shall die. Our bodies will die. And our souls will come from our bodies and be out in eternity. Now, one of the things God has done for us, he has made a way for us to leave our earthly bodies and spend all eternity with him in heaven. That's big. That's major. That's huge. A second thing God has done for us is until then, we're in the now. And what's God done for us? He's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to comfort us, to guide us, to direct us, to be our counselor, 
help us through everything we go through in life to empower us to do things in our own power we cannot do. I'll tell you another thing God has done for us. One of the huge things. He had his son Jesus die on the cross, shed his blood to pay for our sins. He paid our sin debt. The Bible said God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might be the righteous of God in him. Now, you know, there's no, when you think about Jesus paid your sin debt, if that ever really clicks, that's a great feeling. If you've ever been in life, and hopefully many are, debt free. I remember when Dottie and I, in our married life, first became debt-free. Like, we had, we had gotten both boys through school, and uh, we, we had, I won't go into all the story of that, but, uh, you know, and there we were, and then I remember when we paid off our house, we, we didn't owe any more house payments. And we had long before had no more car payments. But one day when I said to Dottie, we, we don't owe anybody for anything. I'm telling you, that is a liberating feeling to just not owe anybody anything. Okay. Now you talk about a liberating feeling is to be sin debt free. Folks, that is a great feeling. It is an unbelievable feeling to realize that my sins, Jesus paid for my sins. Jesus paid for your sins. So, like, what is my motive for living a godly life? My motive is very simple. The mercies of God. Remembering all the things that God has done for me. And I just mentioned three. The list is endless. But these are the main things. These are the eternal things. I'm saying to you, God made a way for you one day to go to heaven. God let Jesus pay your sin debt. You are debt-free sin-wise if you put your faith and trust in him. And where that leads is this. When your motivation is right... When your motivation is right, you will have a desire to be a living sacrifice. And that's what we read in our scripture a moment ago. He said, because of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, you know, a living sacrifice, that on the surface is an oxymoron. Now, you know what an oxymoron is. It would be a figure of speech where it, there seems to be contradiction, like a living sacrifice. Most sacrifices are dead. The Old Testament people, they kill the animals to offer their sacrifice to God for their sins, but the animals were dead. Now, the Bible's telling us that we are to be a living sacrifice. And if our motivation is right, listen carefully, inside of us, there'll be a desire to be a living sacrifice. You say, well, now what is a living sacrifice? Very simply, and the Bible makes it clear, we're to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Our bodies, that's everything we are, we present to God and say, God, fill me with your spirit and help me to live my life 
fulfilling the purpose and reasons and plans that you have for me. I'm going to commit all I am, my body. Jesus said, I lay down my body for you. What did he do? He gave himself a living sacrifice. We give ourselves, And it is, a, it is a marvelous thing when we have that desire to do that. That doesn't mean we'll always make a hundred. We won't always make an A. But inside of us, there is a desire to do what? To be a living sacrifice. To live our life doing what? Committing ourselves fully, totally, completely to God for whatever purpose, for whatever plan he has. And when we do that, when we do that, it makes a huge difference in our life. Now, you know, I think about oxymorons. They, you're familiar with them. We, we hear them all the time. The figure of speech seems to contradict itself, but in context, it, it, we understand it. For example, we hear this said, that is old news. Well, how can something be old news? I mean, well, in context, we know what that means. Someone will say, John says this oftentimes in staff meetings. He said, what we need to do, we need to plan, listen to this, some organized chaos. Well, now, organized chaos on the surface seems like an oxymoron, but in context, I understand exactly what he's saying. And it, it, it does make sense. Someone will say, we need to get an accurate estimate. Well, I mean, I mean, how do you get an accurate? Well, we know exactly what that means, but just hearing those words put together, it makes no sense. We're to be a living sacrifice. Well, it may appear to be an oxymoron, but it's not. It means as we are alive, what we do, we give all of our bodies, all of ourselves, all that we are, we give that to God and say, fill me, God, and use me according to your plans. And when we do that, things change in our life. One of the things that changes, our thinking will change. Our thinking will change. In fact, in the New Living, I love the way it talks about that. He says, uh, don't, uh, don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. You see, when you really are committed to God, you have that desire to be a living sacrifice. It will change how you think. You will begin to think from God's perspective. You'll begin to see things with God's vision. And things look very, very different. And that's, it's a process. And the longer we live trying to live a godly life, being a uh, living sacrifice, God continues to work and he changes our thinking. I'll tell you what else he changes. He changes our value system. The Bible says, don't be conformed to the things of this world. Well, New Living says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The Phillips translation of the Bible, that verse says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And people, that's exactly the world in which we live. The world, from every angle, tries to squeeze us into believing that the world's value system is the right way. Whereas many times the world's value system contradicts exactly what God's word teaches. No matter what is voted, 
No matter laws change, laws pass, all of that. You know, God, God has already said how to live a life with his value system, and it will never change. And so when you're committed to God, it will just change your value system. Things that you used to value, you won't value anymore. Things that you used to not pay much attention to and did value, you then begin to value. It is a glorious and a wonderful, wonderful change. And I bless the Lord for that. I'll tell you what else changes. Our daily Bible reading, now listen carefully. When you're really committed to God, that means you're perfect, but it means in your heart you have a desire to be a living sacrifice, to give all that you are to God, to be used as God has planned and purpose. One of the things that happens is your daily Bible reading becomes encouraging and it becomes amazing. Now, I want you to turn with me. I want to say a little personal word about daily Bible reading. Turn back to Psalm 119. I want to show you a verse. Uh, you probably already know the verse. If not, I encourage you to memorize it. But right now, let's just mark it in our Bible. Whatever Bible plan you use, and I hope you have a Bible plan. Now, there are a few people, but they will be few that can do consistently well with no Bible reading plan. They just, they just do what they do. But most of us do much better with a Bible reading plan. But hear me carefully. Whatever your Bible reading plan is, Always begin, this is my encouragement to you, this is my conviction, with Psalm 119, verse 18. And I want you to look at the verse with me. In Psalm 119, verse 18, the Bible says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your word. Now, I know that verse by memory. You can easily memorize that verse. But every day, before I read one verse in my Bible, at my Bible reading time, or if I am now working on a sermon, I'm always first going to look with my eyeballs at Psalm 119, verse 18. And I'm going to read it. Open my eyes that I may see. Now, if you have an ESV translation, which is a great translation, it uses the word, it translates the Hebrew word, not see, it translates it, behold, behold. But however, this word see in English, this word behold in English comes from the word edu. And it's a Hebrew word. And it means, it means that uh, what you're, what you're, what's, what's being described is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Open my eyes, God, that I may see. In other words, God, I'm about to read your word. I'm asking you. I pray that verse every day. Open my eyes now, God, that I will see things that I've never seen, that I will see things that I have seen, and they'll be fresh and new for me today. I am amazed. And you look at the rest of it, wondrous things which are from you. If if we wanted to translate that word into real contemporary language today, we would probably use the word wow, W-O-W, wow. Like at Christmas, sometimes we get a gift. If we open it, we say, wow, what a gift. Other times we open it and say, what is this? You know, <laughs> I can see we had some what gifts this year. Well, the wow gifts are better than the what gifts. Here's what I'm saying to you. 
This is why this is why Bible reading becomes so enjoyable, encouraging, and and amazing is because God opens our eyes as we are re- about to read His Word, and we see things in His Word that we never have seen, and it's just a wow wow experience. That's one of the things that changes. Our, our daily Bible reading is not, I have to do it. I've got to follow my Bible reading plan so I can check off. I'm going to read these words, black ink on white paper, and you read a few verses or whatever you may read, and, and you may see a little something, but it, it's not really an enjoyable thing. Look, daily Bible reading should be one of the most fun things we do every day. It should be something we look forward to. And I know some days we do better than others. Okay, I understand that. It's kind of like everything else in life. And what the devil does, like if we, for whatever reason, one day we have to miss it, you, you guard against that. Because that one day will be two days. And that two days will be three days. It's kind of like trying to eat right. You know, this time of year, right after Christmas, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there have been a lot of, New Year resolutions made about now, God, in January, I'm going to, and we start, I'm going to, you know, do this, and I'm going to eat this. And we do good. And then one day we pig out. I can see I'm relating to y'all in very fleshly ways. You pig out a day. Well, look, just because you pigged out one day, don't just keep pigging out. But have you ever noticed when you let the barrier down, it's just kind of easy to, Say, well, I messed up and I, you know, I'll work. It's the same way with Bible reading. Just look, if you mess up one day, next day, get back in it and start with Psalm 119. It is a great and a wonderful thing. So when you're, when you're living sacrifice, your daily Bible reading is going to be enjoyable. It's going to be amazing. And you're going to see things that are going to help you that you've never paid much attention. I'll tell you what else. Uh, not only that, your daily prayer time is going to be more than just a prayer one time. When you're living sacrifice, I encourage you to have daily prayer time, yes. But we need to have daily prayer times, plural, throughout the day. Folks, God is a real person. Can I have an amen to that? And we shouldn't just talk to God in the morning and say, okay, God, I'll talk to you some more in the morning. No, no. As you journey through the day, you, you don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to have your eyes closed. You can talk to God from your heart to his heart. And don't just talk to God when you get a bad report from the doctor or something bad comes your way. Just throughout the day, as you have a need, you need direction, you need wisdom, you need help. Just, just ask God. I, I did that. I didn't say that, uh, what I'm about to say in the first service, but, but this morning, this morning, I, I had prayer time long before I left to come here. But bef- I got out of, I woke up, and I sat at the end of the bed. And last week, I picked up some kind of virus. And what it did, it wound up, settling kind of in my voice. And I've had a real issue with my voice the last part of the week. And I had concern about today. But I made the decision yesterday that I'd be fine today with God's help. This morning, I sat on the end of my bed or the side of it. And, and I said, now, Lord, 
I've prepared as well as I know how to prepare. But I need you to strengthen my voice for two sermons this morning. Now, that might not mean much to you. That meant a great deal to me, you know. And I'm just saying to you, I prayed that. I believe that. I trusted that. And God has helped me in a very wonderful way. I share that to say this. As you have needs, ask God to help you with those needs. As you're in school, students, and you're about to do a big test. Now, ask God to help you discipline yourself to prepare for that test. But then on the day of the test, and now, Lord, I've prepared, I've done my best, but I'm asking you today, as I get to the test, would you help me recall the things that I need to recall to do well on my test? We need to learn to have prayer times throughout the day. Could I have an amen to that? God is real. He's our heavenly father. You know, I, I won't, when our boys were growing up, I, you know, I hope they would ask me for things. Every now and then, now, you know, I just think, I just wish one day either boy would call and say, Dad, we want to talk to you. We need your wisdom on a decision. They never ask my wisdom on a decision. Y'all need to hear me. Nothing would thrill me more, even if you don't do what I say. But seriously, how do you think the Heavenly Father feels when we ask, say, Father, I need wisdom in this. I'm telling you what, it will, it'll please God. And God will honor it and God will bless it in a very special way. Now, here's, here's the good news. When you're trying to be a living sacrifice, what is living sacrifice? We give our body to God, all that we are to God, and say, now God, I want you to fill me and use me in my life in the ways, purposes, and plans that you have. I'll tell you what, this is really a blessed thing. I work for God. I work for God will become our legacy. Now think about that a moment. Let me ask you a question. It's a good question. It's a really good question. What legacy will you leave your family? I've thought about that all week in preparing my sermon for today. I thought about when I'm gone and my family is behind, they are left, I'm gone. What legacy will I pass on to my boys? to my wife, to my grandchildren, to other family members. Like, well, what about you? What, what are you going to leave behind? What about people that you know well, that know you, you work with them, you have interactions with them, and one day you slip out of your body and you go to heaven? What legacy will you leave behind? How will they remember you? What will you pass on to them? You know, think. I thought during this week, like in two more weeks, I will have finished 34 years at this church. 34 years of my life at this church. When I'm gone, what legacy will I leave First Baptist Church, Pasadena? Someone might say, well, you led them to relocate. You led them to build buildings. You led them to pay off the debt. You led the church to start the school 30 years ago. 
you know, I'm thrilled with all, I'm humbled by all those things. I, I, I didn't do them. I just led in them. God's people, they did them. God did them through his people. But but I hope I hope I leave a better legacy than that. You know, I mean, some of those things anybody could have done, really. But what what legacy will I leave behind the church? As you think about that a moment, I'm saying this to you: If you're trying to live a godly life, like and you've lived a life where you have the best you could given all of yourself to God to be used in his work as he has planned, that's the greatest legacy you'll ever leave behind. I think of the Apostle Paul. It's in Acts chapter 20. You can read it later. But he was in Miletus, which is about 25 miles from Ephesus, where he had been three years at one time. And he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus and asked them to come down to Miletus. He wanted to say some final words to them before he sailed on. And it's interesting that the, the, today's Living Bible says it great. But here's, here's what the Apostle Paul said, and I think it was his legacy. I hope it would, might be your legacy. I hope it will be my legacy. Paul said, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work that God has assigned me to do. And he went on and said others. I thought, what a legacy. What a legacy to say to those elders from Ephesus. And I pray in your heart and in my heart, and it has to begin in our mind, that we realize that, that life really, in the bottom line, is worth nothing unless we use our life to carry out as best we can God's purposes and God's plan for our lives. That is being a living sacrifice. Now, to be a living sacrifice, <laughs> you, first have to, you first have to put your faith and trust in the one who was the ultimate sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ. And here we are on this first Sunday of the year, what a, what a perfect way to begin the new year on Sundays. Some today saying, you know, I really believe that this is the day that God has ordained for me to make my decision to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. And then once you do that, you begin the journey of trying to be a living sacrifice. In our room this morning, I would believe with all my heart there are some who need to place their faith and trust in Jesus. I believe there are others, they're not sure about that. In fact, I would almost guarantee this many people in a room, there are a good number of people that would say, well, the fact is, I think that I've done that. I'm, I, I really believe when I die, I'm going to heaven. But I cannot say, 100% sure that I believe that when I die, I'm going to heaven. You need this morning to settle your salvation. So I want us to bow, our heads bowed, our hearts open to the Lord. And this morning, if you've never, first of all, put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, 
Not the church, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, not the good life, none of that. Not you at all, but him. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, repented of your sins, ask him to come into your life, into your heart, and make you a Christian. This morning, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that will help you do that. For others that say, you know, I've prayed that kind of prayer over and over and over again, but I must admit, I'm not 100% certain at that point. The good news is this morning, first Sunday in the new year, you can settle that forever, forever. You'll never have to pray the prayer again, ever, because if you pray it and you trust him, it's settled forever. So with our heads bowed and our hearts open, if you say, I want to pray that prayer, just in your heart to the heart of God, just pray, Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you paid my sin debt. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. And I admit I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. I repent of my sins. And I'm asking you now, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a Christian. For those who say, I've prayed a prayer like that over and over and over, but I don't have 100% peace. Let's put a PS to that prayer. This morning, would you pray this? Say, Lord, I'm just not certain. I'm not sure, but I want to know. I'm, I'm asking you, God, if I've not done so, I do so now. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I trust you alone. I settle my salvation today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I can know one day I'll be with you in heaven. 